0: So, uh, as I was saying, you may or may not have heard of the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders, um, but this group has relatively significant influence uh, over many who would label themselves as evangelicals. This was the group you may have read about them in the news uh, over the last couple of years, but it's a group of dozens of, maybe upwards of a hundred, charismatic preachers, uh, individuals like Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, and, and a lot of these figures falsely predicted that Donald Trump would win the 2020 election. And uh, actually, a lot of people who have studied this have pointed to uh, some of their influence as what led to, uh, helped incite the January 6th insurrection. Now, following you know, January, the events of January 6th, there were individuals like Jeremiah Johnson who did apologize. He did back down on his prophetic declarations. He's one of the more well-known ones. But there were some who continued to dig in their heels, continuing to state that it was God's will that Trump would be in the White House, continuing to predict uh, that a miraculous turn of events was going to take place that would put Donald Trump back in the rightful place as leader of our country. You know, they kind of kept moving those goalposts. But even with the moving goalposts, they continued to fail to materialize. Now, I would say if we were going to hold truly to a biblical standard, every one of these uh, prophets, and if you're listening, I'm putting prophets in quotes, uh, should be recognized as the frauds that they are, right? Because the Bible gives us one primary litmus test for if a prophet is among you. Does what they predict come true? Well, what they predicted has not come true, and so the Bible would say they're not prophets uh, in, in that regard. But in this age of pop Christianity uh, that we live in, in, in the mass reach of social media, many of these figures continue to have positions of power and positions of influence. You know, as I've been reading through the Book of Ezekiel, it's been difficult to imagine individuals who are on the opposite end of the spectrum between these, you know, apostolic council of elders and the ministry of, the, of Ezekiel, or the ministry of just about any prophet in the Old Testament. These prophets in our day and age use their influence to hold lofty positions. They they profit in the formation of their own wealth and brand. But as we look at Ezekiel, we see that to be called a prophet was not a, a fun calling by any stretch of the imagination. To be used by God is to be highly inconvenienced, as Bryce said. I mean last week we we kicked off this eight-week series through the book of ezekiel we saw ezekiel experience this powerful vision of god but god hadn't said anything yet it just said the very like last verse of chapter one said and i heard a voice speak so if you've been reading along in the bible plan that we have put together we just started a new one last sunday um you will have read chapter four last week now chapter four describes somewhat what Ezekiel's lifestyle in the Lord was about. All right, in, in order to display the siege and eventual fall of Jerusalem, Ezekiel, this is all chapter 4, uh, was told to lay on his side for 390 days. So a little over a year, he laid on one side. And then he was allowed to switch sides for another 40. He was told to be, he was bound in that so that he could not move or get up And this was meant to signify, this time was meant to signify the years of judgment that Israel and Judah had been accruing. The Lord also gave in that passage a daily allotment of food and water for Ezekiel. Ezekiel was allowed to have 20 shekels, which is approximately half a pound of bread a day. And he was allowed a sixth of a hin of water to drink, which would be about 24 ounces, you know, one of those water bottles, about that big, you know, one and a half of the plastic water bottles we use all the time. That was it. Oh, and and his bread was to be cooked over cow dung, which that was a common source of fuel in that day, but that was actually an upgrade over what was originally proposed, which was that it was supposed to be cooked over human dung. Ezekiel, being in the will of God, being used by God, was allotted a pittance all in service of to this calling from Yahweh. Now, I, I share this to demonstrate that to be a prophet in the Old Testament was not always a pleasant endeavor. You know, if we're following the ministry of so-called modern prophets who are living lives of luxury and comfort, that doesn't seem to fit with this image of the prophets that we find in the Old Testament and that we'll continue to find in Ezekiel as we study him. So if let, let, we're going to, Chapter four was kind of a freebie. We're going to look at chapter two and part of chapter three this morning. If you want to open Bibles up to that, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. As I said, Ezekiel saw this kind of magnificent glory of God. Uh, he was in the land of Babylon. He was displaced from his, his homeland. And you know Ezekiel has this, this vision and is just so overwhelmed that he falls flat on his face, just as the Lord began to speak. So Ezekiel 2, I'm going to start just with the first seven verses. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And he spoke to me, or excuse me, and he, as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Doesn't sound very pleasant to me. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house, and you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Now, as I said a moment ago, we left things off with Ezekiel face down before the glory of God. And in verse 2, It is only with divine assistance that Ezekiel was able to rise before this sheer awe-inspiring nature of God. Now, we won't be looking at it in this series, but you see this exact same pattern take place in the next chapter, the second half of Ezekiel chapter three. Ezekiel receives another vision of the glory of God, knocks him on his face, and it's the sustenance of the Holy Spirit that sets him on his feet And this i think is a theme we see and it fits well with the book because ezekiel in hebrew literally means god strengthens and so as we're going through the book of ezekiel i want you to be on the lookout for the regular the dynamic presence of the holy spirit in these interactions with ezekiel now in these opening verses there's another linguistic marker i want to draw your attention to in verse one he calls ezekiel son of man now, this title is used, more than, or is used about 90 times in the book of Ezekiel. In the whole rest of the Old Testament it's only used 14 times. Now, I know I've shared this at small group before. Jesus often likes to use the title Son of Man for himself. Uh, I don't want us to get mixed up because the link with Jesus is not here to what is being communicated to Ezekiel, but is a passage in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, uh, uh, ancient of days son of man riding on the clouds that is the reference the illusion that jesus is giving when he calls himself son of man um, and so if you have questions on the distinction you can let me know i'm happy to showcase some of the nuances but here in ezekiel this title son of man is is it's an interesting kind of play on words right because on one hand this title son of man is meant to distinguish him from god right? god's saying you are a son of man you are a mere mortal i.e part of the human race You know, as we saw last week, God is beautiful, majestic, powerful. In the midst of this vision, because we're still in the midst of this, right, there was this hurricane and all this, you know, this person on a throne that looked like they were, you know, molten metal from the waist up. There's a clear distinction of the wonder of God's glory and the mortality of humanity. And in fact, in this distinction, I don't think that could be more pronounced right now so son of man is meant to create a distinction a separation with god but the title also distinguishes ezekiel from his countrymen elsewhere the people he is labeled to are sent the the people he is sent to are labeled as the house of israel the sons of israel right these are the ones in their rebellion god says that they're products of their ancestor right sons of israel Israel was the grandson of Abraham. I don't know if you remember how he got his name. He was originally named Jacob. He's a twin. He was the second twin. He's like grabbing on his, his brother's heel uh, as, as they're coming out of the womb. Um, Jacob means to supplant. But then he has this experience. He's on the run with his brother, or excuse me, on the run from his brother, and he has this, this, this uh, experience where he's, he's it's dark and he's wrestling with God. And he You know, God like touches his hip, so he's like kind of crippled, but he's like, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And God blesses him, but renames him as Israel, which means he strives with God, he who wrestles with God. And so I think by creating this distinction with Ezekiel, he's sending Ezekiel to the Hebrew people, a people who have continued to wrestle, continued to strive with God, no longer in in a positive way, right? I think there's a positive way of wrestling, you know, a father with his kids, you know, play wrestling on the ground. But the Hebrew people have been so persistent in their unfaithfulness that the only recourse left is judgment, which we mentioned last week. And something else real quick to put a pin on it, Uh, in verse 3, God calls Israel a nation of rebels. And that that word nation is important. Remember, I'm going to circle back to it in a a couple minutes. Now, the final theme of this section is the overview of the ministry of Ezekiel. His goal is to share message, right? The message of God's judgment on the house of Israel. And even though he's going to be rejected, he's still supposed to share it right God's telling him outright like you're not going to have any measurable sex success he says like they might listen to you but they might not and parenthetically they're a rebellious house so I think you're inferring like they're not going to listen to you he can talk until he's blue in the face but it's not going to make a lick of difference and verse 5 gives the rationale because once the judgment comes they're going to look back and they're going to know that a prophet had been among them right he's appealing to their hindsight God had warned them of this calamity and they have no one to blame but themselves. All right, let's go back to the text. I want to read the next section, Uh, chapter 2, verse 8 through 311. God continues. He says, but you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it, and he spread it before me. And it had writing on the front and on the back and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you're not sent to a people of foreign speech and hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. They're not willing to listen to me because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart, and hear with your ears, and go to exile, go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Inconvenience. I think it's later in chapter three, um, which again we're not going to look at. There's another point where Ezekiel's tongue is he's told it's going to cling to the roof of his mouth. He's not going to be able to talk unless it is the voice of the Lord. Again, this is uncomfortable stuff for him. Now, an interesting note in the section that I just read is that Ezekiel's, like this call on Ezekiel's life is kind of like an object lesson for the nation of Israel. Ezekiel is compliant, he is obedient to God, contra to the attitude of Israel. I mean, look at verse 8 of chapter 2. God provides a command to Ezekiel, And the command is in and of itself a test of obedience. God tells Ezekiel, open your mouth and whatever I give you, eat. Nothing's been provided yet. He's saying just eat. Following this command, God provides a scroll and it was covered on both sides with words of lament and woe. And at the start of chapter 3, that command is given again, eat the scroll. But what we find is there's a surprising turn of events. Right, this scroll filled with all kinds of uh, statements of judgment, of woe, of lament, it's unattractive externally. But once ingested, tastes different than what would have been expected. Right, instead of bitterness mimicking the external characteristics, it's sweet like honey to the taste. When Ezekiel is told a second time to eat the scroll, this time this command is Joined with a further command, go and speak, right? Take what you have ingested and go tell your countrymen. Go tell them what these scrolls says. But as we just saw in that last section, we see here again, Ezekiel is told, the people are not going to listen to you. I mean, look at the shade that God is throwing at Israel in verses 5 and 6. He said that Ezekiel, if Ezekiel had been sent to the Gentiles, to outsiders, they would have listened to him. Right? Even with a language barrier being present, that would not have been an obstacle to their repentance. And as I'm reading this, it reminds me of the story of Jonah, right? Jonah was sent to be a prophet, proclaiming judgment to Nineveh. Nineveh was like the, the, the worst neighbor at the, the bully, if you will, like the the ancient Near East bully of that, of that time period, right? But instead of proclaiming that judgment, going to Nineveh and proclaiming judgment, Jonah turns tail and runs the opposite direction. Why? Because he admitted that he knew that God was gracious and that if he shared judgment and they repented that they would be forgiven and Jonah didn't want them to be forgiven. Jonah didn't want them to have that disaster that God was gonna bring um, relented by God's grace. You know, God brings him back to the shore and it says that Jonah shares these statements of judgment. And I just have to imagine, again, this is, this is hy- hy- uh, hypothetical, but I imagine he wasn't given it his, his best, you know, effort, the old Harvard try to, to share the statement of judgment. He's doing it. He's going through the motions. But Nineveh responds. Nineveh turns and repents of their wickedness in that moment. And this story, I mean, this, this story would have taken place a good 100, 150 years before Ezekiel's writing, and I'm sure it would have been known at that time. The hearers would have been getting the illusion, right? Like, you're, you're worse than the Ninevites. If, if Ezekiel was going, on, they weren't a kingdom anymore as the Babylonians, but you get the, you get the drift. The outsiders would have listened, but those insiders, those who should have known better, those of the house of Israel will not because they're stubborn and rebellious. And God, God says this, and, and there's a really interesting reversal that takes place here. And you know, remember I said a few minutes ago, God uh, labels them as the nation of Israel in, in chapter 2. And the, the Hebrew word for nation is goyim. But here in chapter 3, verse 5, he describes the Gentiles, the outsiders, as a people. The Hebrew word ham, right? Abraham, ham. What's interesting about this is that there is a reversal of roles. The nations outside of the covenant of God, the Gentiles, were often referred to as Goyim, as nations, whereas the Hebrew people were typically described with the word Ham, people, my people, God would often say. And what we found is that this chosen nation of God's people have become unchosen based on their actions. And in short, God is bringing a message of judgment to the Hebrew people using Ezekiel as his mouthpiece. And Ezekiel already knows that he is going to fail based off the world standards because they are not going to listen to him. Let's finish this section. Follow along as I read verses 12 through 15 of chapter three. Then the spirit, there's that presence of the spirit again, lifted me up and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another and the sound of the wheels beside them and the sound of a great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Abib who were dwelling by the Khabar Canal. And I sat where they were dwelling. And I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. So, the, in verse 12, we have these living creatures. They've kind of been forgotten. They've taken a back seat in this vision compared to the, the throne of God and the majesty of that, and they resume their activity. And the throne of God departs, and Ezekiel returns to his people. And after this vision, it says, the text says that he is overwhelmed, he's bitter, he's angry, in language in verse 14 of, in the heat of my spirit is an idiom that is usually used to describe wrath. I know in the, the, the Holy Post, uh, Caitlin Schess has talked uh, about this, this language that we find in Jeremiah, right? It's like a fire in my bones, right? I think that's kind of similar of what's going on with Ezekiel. The, the hand of the Lord is strong upon him, right? There's this, this thing that is, is begging to come out, but it's, it's, not a, it's not a comfortable thing for him to be in comfortable place and I believe what's going on here is after consuming that scroll so the last section he eats this scroll of judgment of lamentation of woe and he is now experiencing the emotions that God is feeling towards his people he's all riled up because of their idolatry and because of their sin and we're going to get a clear glimpse of that next week Yeah, you know, it made me think of that contemporary worship song I think it's by Hillsong that we sing sometimes called Hosanna The bridge says, break my heart for what breaks yours. And we often sing that. I know I've often sang that in ways that's very um, what's the word? Like sentimentalized, you know, like, oh, I want to feel what you feel, God. I'm so sad. I want to be sad for what you're sad for. But here we see Ezekiel feeling that it's not pleasurable. Right? He is feeling the the angst, the, the the anger that God is feeling in that moment for Idolatry for justice. He's stuck right now, living in the tension of experiencing things from God's perspective, but simultaneously having to live alongside his people. And so, after all this, like he—he he is so overwhelmed and overstimulated that he lays. He needs seven days to recover from what he has just had, what he's just seen. And so, I, I hope that. As we forayed into this call of Ezekiel, it's opened up for us, opened our eyes a bit, that this prophetic calling in Scripture is not really anything uh, that folks would seek after of their own volition. It was positions of power, it was positions of authority, but there was a real sobering side to that vocation. Life for God can be real toilsome, it can be painful, it can be difficult, You know, there's a bumper sticker theology that seems to indicate that, you know, if you follow God, if you're in your will, like, life's going to be smooth and easy. But what we see from Scripture is quite the contrary. Being right in the middle of the will of God sometimes can be some of the most dangerous and difficult places we can be. Similar to what Bryce said this morning. To be used by God might mean that we are highly inconvenienced. And we see the truth of that when we look at the life of call and calling of Ezekiel. So as we try to unpack that and take some of this home, I, I have a, a few kind of take-home lessons, a few things, ways that I want us to think about this text this morning. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we are ambassadors to his kingdom. We have a calling on us, whether it makes us feel comfortable or not. There is a calling that God has placed upon us to make God known to those in our spheres of influence the Bible teaches in Ephesians that one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of evangelism the gift to be an evangelist we might not we're not all given that gift but that doesn't let us off the hook we're all called to evangelism in some way right we're called to and that's what evangelism means good news right to be bringers bearers of the good news of Jesus Christ apart from any linguistic challenges like ezekiel we're going to find it difficult to communicate the gospel to our culture at large because it's difficult to communicate the gospel to a stubborn and rebellious people who are dead in their transgressions to use the language of paul in ephesians chapter 2. what what people need is not just new information when i was in college i remember you know i was big into apologetics and thinking I'm a very rational person. If, if I can just sh- showcase the right rational argument that disproves atheism or disproves whatever worldview, then people will come to know Jesus. And someone said, like, you, can never, you can't argue someone into the kingdom. It's not just by giving them new information that they need, but they need new life. And we're going to see that theme of interior transformation that God brings. I, I won't steal too much thunder from, from that week but we're going to see that in a few weeks in Ezekiel. When we consider sharing the gospel, there is no right way to go about it. There are plenty of wrong ways, let's be clear, but there's no formula for communicating the gospel to an unrighteous or unrepentant neighbor or friend or co-worker. Just giving out information is not going to solve the problem. You and I, on our own, are not able to save a single person. I think that's really important for us to acknowledge and realize. You or I cannot do it on our own. We must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, which is gonna be my second point in a minute. But to stay here for a moment. I I know that this can be intimidating. This can be discouraging. In, In a culture that is at worst openly hostile to the gospel, and at best is largely apathetic to it, it's not comfortable. It's an inconvenience to put yourself to put your faith out there. Like you're going to face rejection. It's going to happen. Much like Ezekiel was told he's going to face rejection. He was told that people would not respond to this message that God was bringing him to w- w- was communicating to him to bring. Success of Ezekiel's mission was not based upon the respo- response of the hearers. Let me say that again. Success. Of Ezekiel's mission was not based upon the response of the hearers. The Bible does not call us to effectiveness but faithfulness. I think that we live in this like post-industrialized society and I think this is a much needed reminder because we live in a culture of metrics. I've been reading a book, it's a really good book called Atomic Habits. James Clear, I think, is the author. And it's about kind of like self-help, live your best life now kind of thing. But everything that he does is broken down into metrics, right? If I can make myself 1% better today, 1% better on that, and compound interest kind of stuff, it, good, good book. I think there's a, a place for you know, social, behavioral transformation in our lives. But the Bible does not teach us or, or judge us based on metrics. Because in our culture, metrics communicate value. I am better if I'm 1% better today than I was yesterday. My value has increased. But God's value for us is not based upon what we do. It's not based upon metrics. It's based upon what Jesus has done for us. So God's call in our lives is to still be obedient, to follow him, To step out in faithfulness but the results are never what we are judged upon of that stepping out in faith but leaving the results up to god but secondly as i said a moment ago we have no control over the response of our hearers now in light of that right that doesn't give us liberty to be a jerk like, it's possible that the rejection that we are experiencing is just because we're, we're being a jag-off right now, you know. The power of the Holy Spirit is the one who brings repentance. What Jesus does in someone's life is a miracle, right? Because it's not about self-help. It's not about being 1% better today than I was yesterday. Because it's not just about making bad people good, but taking dead people and bringing them to life once more for His kingdom. And what that means for us is that we need to have a greater reliance of the Holy Spirit. When we look at the writings of of Ezekiel, we see this constant presence of the Spirit, guiding him, providing vision, strengthening him. And the Spirit was not, he didn't have access to the Holy Spirit the way we do today. We too must rely on that same Spirit in our ventures for God. And what this means, and this was really convicting for me as I was kind of doing my, my work on this. It means that prayer is a critical piece of our work for God. Right, this is what I read in a commentary and it shook me, right? Because he's, he's saying, like, after Ezekiel 8, the scroll, chapter 3, verse 1, he's told, right, go and take this message, pass it on to the people. If we likewise go and do without prayer, what that showcases is that, that showcases our attitude of self reliance i read that and i was like that is convicting because so often i'm i'm a doer i'm a pragmatist and so my desire is to just attempt to do my work for the lord but really i'm trying to do it on my own power right i need to be reminded that as i go through life it's not by might it's not by power but it's by the holy spirit of god that we strive for him That we seek to be obedient so we seek to be faithful for him you know i i hope that we can find encouragement from ezekiel that you know life with god is wonderful but it can be very difficult it can be full of failure rejection full of pain and toil but our sense of identity does not come from our effectiveness but god's faithfulness to us He's promised to to never leave us, to never forsake us, and He's made good on that promise. This is one of the reasons Pentecost was so important, because He's given us that presence of the Holy Spirit in each of us. And so as we go out, as we are commissioned by God to go out to do His work, to share His message, His message of wrath but also justice or judgment or not judgment wrath and judgment go together to to showcase right that he has standards there is a judgment that is coming but there is grace there is mercy that is why the 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 news is called gospel the good news of jesus as we go to this what does it mean for us to be an ambassador of god right to be prophetic in this rebellious culture we live in sharing the good news trusting in the power and presence of the holy spirit to guide us in that adventure and so as we go about this week like here i have just two questions this week i shortened it and they both go on this theme so the first is this and i'll put them on facebook and the web to think about like when was the last time you verbally communicated the gospel to someone else I, I added the word verbally in there because there's a there's a quote that's often attributed to saint francis of assisi i don't know that he actually said it i think that's been disproven but it says you know preach the gospel in all seasons and when necessary use words right, I, I can go with that again I, that, that's a little bit of a sentimentalization of it right like our lives should be you know some people say maybe your life is the only bible someone will ever read okay same type of thing there is a place for that but paul also says you know how will people know unless they hear not see hear right there is an element of communication verbal communication of pointing people to the good news of jesus christ so thinking about that i, I want to encourage us to think when have we last shared that gospel and what barriers keep you from doing this more frequently i know for me right fear of rejection i feel like that's number 1 Are my friends going to be like i don't want to be friends with you anymore because you talk about this weird religious stuff so think about those things what are the things that keep you from doing this because that is a call that that god has placed on our lives to be his ambassadors what is it uh the u.s ambassador and chinese government officials blinking they're talking right now about stuff right They're, they're trying to bring some degree of reconciliation on behalf of the american government similar way, right? We are ambassadors trying to invite people into reconciliation with God. Anyway, I could go down all kinds of tangents. Here's the second one. Think back over that last week. As you think about this last week, have you relied more upon your own self-reliance or more upon the Holy Spirit? I know for me, when I do that self-inventory, hands down, it's self-reliance. That's just That's just what i need to change maybe that's maybe my habit you know that habit forming book that i that i'm reading is how, how am i setting cues for myself to rely more on the holy spirit and not just myself but thinking about that and taking that mental inventory being introspective so that we can change that behavior we can be aware of it so we can say god i, I need you right every hour i need you as we we sing that matt, i think it's matt marr who wrote that song right? we sing every hour i need you but are we really living that way? Are we just giving lip service to it? So anyway, some things to think about. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll uh, close in and, and worship. Lord, I thank you for all that you have done in our lives, that you have called us, right, resurrected us spiritually from uh, uh, objects of your wrath, dead in our transgressions, but you have given us new life in Jesus Christ. And as we experience that new life, may we be, be uh, ambassadors, be, be people, guideposts, tour guides pointing to the ways in which you're working in the world. Lord, that we can be, you know, I, I, thinking about that quote of evangelism, that evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Lord, we found that source of life. May we be quick to share it with others. But as we do so, Lord, may we not be shaken in our faith in you when times get rocky and times get tough. May we not uh, have this understanding that life with you means smooth sailing on easy street. God, as we encounter trials and testing, may we firmly recognize that we can be in the midst of the storm, in the midst of your will, and hold fast to that only being sustained by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lords, it's in your name we pray, amen.